0: Hello, I'm Harry Glorikian, and this is The Harry Glorikian Show, where we explore how technology is changing everything we know about healthcare. If you live in the United States and you've ever had your doctor prescribe a new medication, you've probably had the following experience. You drive from the doctor's office to the pharmacy. And when you get there, you find out that the pharmacy doesn't carry that particular drug. or They do carry it, but your insurance provider doesn't cover it. Or, your insurance does cover it, but they require prior authorization. Which means you have to get back in touch with your doctor and ask them to tell the insurance company that you really do need the medicine. Or, you already have prior authorization, but you haven't met your annual deductible yet, so your out-of-pocket cost is much more than you expected. If any one of these problems crops up, the chances that you'll actually get your prescription filled on the day you need it go way down. And it's not uncommon for several of these nafus to happen all at once. Fundamentally, that's because the electronic health record system and the electronic prescribing system at your doctor's office don't include price and benefit information for prescription drugs. All of that information lives on separate systems at your insurance company and your health plan's pharmacy benefit manager, or PBM. And that's the gap that a company called RxReview is trying to fix. My guest on today's show is the CEO of RxReview, Kyle Kaiser. We talked about the software they've built to make drug cost and coverage information available within the major EHR systems. When doctors can see in real time which drugs are covered, at what price, for a specific patient, it obviously solves a huge pain point for patients. Because it means they're more likely to get the drugs they need at an affordable price. But it also solves a big problem for doctors, because, fairly or not, they're the ones who usually shoulder the blame when it turns out the medication they just prescribed is too expensive or isn't available. The kind of information Rx Review provides is going to be more and more important as the U.S. enters into an era of far greater price transparency, as mandated by the federal No Surprises Act. Which went into effect on January 1st of this year. Rx Review is based in Denver, Colorado, and I reached Kyle Kaiser at his home in Seattle, Washington. Here's our full conversation. Kyle, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Harry. Happy to be here.
0: So, you know, we were we were just talking. You're you're in Seattle and I'm in Boston. I don't I don't think we could be much farther apart when it comes to this particular country. Yep. Um so um, but let's start with with a little bit of background, right? So you're you know, you're the CEO of RX Review, and can you tell us a little bit about sort of the the origin story about how you got started here? I mean, I understand your co-founder. Dr. Kevin O'Brien had an interesting experience trying to get prescriptions filled for his mother, Lucy. But what's the rest of that story? You know, what did that story reveal to you about what's broken or missing in the way that doctors prescribes medicines, or you know, where uh, the way that maybe payers approve prescriptions?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, a little background on Kevin's story. Yeah, Kevin was. Uh, initially inspired to do this because he wanted to solve a problem for his mom. She had a outsized out of pocket spend for meds. Like any good son, he wanted to help solve a problem for his mom. Um, he used his expertise to find sort of ways to save on those medications. And that inspired him to start doing that in his clinic for his patients more comprehensively. So he, he was, uh, you know, way ahead of his time and, and putting in all of this extra effort to to really help find prescription options for patients that they could afford more easily and um, and that was the initial inspiration for what we've done today which is connecting the point of care and clinical decision-making with cost and coverage uh, information that's real-time and patient specific and um, location specific and moment in time specific because all those things matter as, as, as inputs into a price so um, you know really the the challenge we've been focused on is uh, is largely that, you know, the clinical decision making process uh, has been pretty pretty much disconnected, right, from from marketplace information. So, you know, anything that impacts the purchasing of that care, and and that was okay in a world where deductibles were low, formularies were relatively inexpensive and simple but that world's changed dramatically over the last 10 to 20 years, right? As as consumer driven healthcare has become the way of the world and first dollar um, risk is now, you know, at the feet of the patient is that patients are now demanding that providers can consider not just what's best from a clinical perspective, but also set expectations around costs, set expectations around any restrictions that exist and, and be an advocate for access to care and uh, and that's that's the problem we're solving. We're building an access network. And, and within that access network, we help drive affordability and speed to care for patients. And, and we're doing that with a number of stakeholders, but at a high level, that's what we're trying to accomplish.
0: Well, you know it's it's interesting, right? You know, entrepreneurship 101, solve a real need, right? So that so that there's a for market sure. there because everybody wants it. But so I mean, look, I think, everyone in the United States has probably had experiences similar to Dr. O'Brien's mom. I mean, you get to the pharmacy, you find out that the medication your doctor prescribed isn't covered by your plan, or you find out that the copay is outrageously high, but behind their personal experiences, I bet most people don't have a concept of how big and widespread this problem is. You know, do you have any, maybe statistics that might illustrate the scale of the problem or how much money is wasted in the medical system because of these disconnects? I mean, I'm wondering how many prescriptions get abandoned or how many patients don't get the meds they need.
1: Yeah. I mean, at a, a macro level, you know, the prescription drug market makes just over, makes up, you know, just over a half a trillion. Right. And you know, estimates are that a third to even as much as a half of that is waste and waste in the form of, you know, medications that aren't taken as prescribed, aren't delivering the right outcomes. I I don't, um, it's hard to find actually a, um, a stakeholder in the supply chain that's delivered more value than, than meds themselves. I mean, if you think about, you know, the innovation in that world over the last 30 years, it's, it's second to none, but um, the, you know, the supply chain within which they exist, uh, is complicated and it's hard to navigate. And the consequences of that is waste and, uh, you know, a ton of administrivia and friction and frankly, patients bear the brunt of that. Ultimately it's health plans and PBMs and risk bearing entities, making rules on one end it's providers and care teams making clinical decisions on the other end, and both of those processes are largely disconnected. And the only way that that gets harmonized in any way is a patient advocating for themselves. And we just fundamentally don't believe it should happen that way. What, what we're building is the connectivity between those stakeholders so that, whether it's a provider at the point of care making the decision, whether it's a care team member trying to help you overcome a prior auth, or whether it's a patient trying to advocate for themselves using their own technology, we want to put real time patient specific, moment in time specific information in their hands to drive affordability and speed to care for for, for that patient, no matter where they are on the care continuum.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, so this lack of prescription cost data, I mean, at the point of care feels like a real canonical example of deep systematic problems with the you know, with origins that are buried like deep in at least three of these complex organizations, right? Providers, payers, and EHR makers. I mean, once you guys decided what the problem you wanted to fix was, how the hell did you (laughs) figure out where to, like, okay, let's start here and let's move forward, right? Because not trivial.
1: No, it's 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 exactly the right observation. Because ultimately what we're building is a multi-sided network. Um, And what's difficult about building a multi-sided network is You know, users on one end, in this case, providers, uh, aren't going to engage. Doesn't have the appropriate information in it. And um, the data sources, uh, your ability to capture that appropriate information, um, they don't want to provide that data to you unless you have the appropriate users. So you get stuck in this chicken or the egg problem. And and that's job one uh, in growing this business is to overcome that chicken or the egg problem. And the way we went about that was we worked really closely with, uh, with health systems, with provider organizations, um, primarily because that's where the trust exists. Is that ultimately, patients seek out their provider and their care team to answer these questions, and um, and so we you know we worked closely with them as strategic partners. We even brought some of them in as investors in the company, and and aggregated a group of meaningful collaborators on the health system side, which then helped us bring. Uh, PBMs and payers to the table to say how do we solve these problems together, and and that's that's sort of how we got out of the gate.
0: So, I mean, tell me a, I, if we could dig a little into. I think the product is called Swift RX, if I remember correctly. But at a high level, you know, if you could describe for listeners what is it, how does it work, and where does it fit in relation to the overall system.
1: Sure. Yeah. So Direct is the product you're describing. Uh, What it provides is is that real-time, patient-specific, location-specific, moment-in-time-specific information in the provider's native ordering workflow. So we are a data network that's powering a native feature inside the EMR that provides that insight while providers are selecting medications. So a typical flow Uh, would look like a provider selects a medication. They then place that into a pending status in the software that they use. When that happens, we're able to gain visibility to that choice. We send that transaction out to our network of data sources, payers, PBMs, etc. And what we get back uh, is the price that is patient-specific. We have formulary insights, so prior auth, quantity limit, step therapy, those sorts of things. Those are also patient-specific. Uh, and then most importantly, we get back alternatives, and those alternatives come in two forms. They're either uh, a lower-cost medication or a lower-cost pharmacy where the patient can uh, fulfill that medication, and, and that's sort of the core information that we then render back into the e-prescribing workflow. Uh, and we only interrupt uh, those providers' workflows, uh, or we and our EMR partners only interrupt those providers' workflows when there's relevant information to consider, um, because as as I'm, you know, I'm sure you know, being deep in this world, um, provider engagement is tough, and and you really have to be thoughtful about when when is the appropriate time to in, intervene, and when when do we want to sort of get out of the way and, and make sure that when we are intervening, it's meaningful and understood to be meaningful.
0: Yeah. So I'm gonna. I mean, I heard a lot of what you said. I'm. I'm I wanna maybe summarize all the you know a few of these areas that people run into problems but to try to understand sort you know what are the big problems you had to solve to get it to really work cuz i'm i'm just trying to get my head around the magnitude of the data headache here right so if if you'll allow me i'll just try to break it down into parts and then you can tell me how you're bridging all of these so for one thing there's the patient specific data about what kind of insurance each patient has and what level of benefits they have. And none of that is stored in the EHR at the clinic, as far as I know. Typically, the EHR would only list the patient's group number, subscription number, maybe the RX bin number. And then separate from all that, every insurance has a formulary of drugs they'll cover. And sometimes, a you know, a schedule of different copay amounts for those drugs. And those formularies change every year and even more often, right? And then... Yeah there's a patient's actual prescription data, which may live in their EHR or may live in a different system at the pharmacy. And then on top of that, there's this obscure black box system of prior authorization criteria that insurers may use to deny a prescription if they don't feel like paying for it. So the fact that the system is so fragmented is a familiar story to anybody who listens to this show. But tell me, you know, how on earth you were able to sort of get all this data under one roof so to speak what, you know is there a specific architecture of the swift rx system that makes you good at collecting all of this changing data and presenting it to the providers in real time
1: yeah the, the only other element i'd add to your your complexity salad is also benefit design <laughs> right is that um yeah. you know the the out of pocket cost can be and is dramatically different um based on where you are in your coverage, right? If you're a commercial member with a high deductible, you're bearing the, you know, the in-network negotiated rate inside that deductible. And that changes pretty dramatically once you reach a deductible. Or if you're a Medicare member, there's the donut hole. And you know, all of those things are also inputs and complexity to add to this. So to answer your question, um, it's really working closely with the stakeholders that that control those or that are the source of that data right is uh, you really can't um, get to an accurate price without working with those um, with those data sources specifically so we work closely with the pbm with the payer and and we do more or less a mock adjudication so the the same type of adjudication activity that happens on their end uh, when a patient arrives at the point of sale is happening when uh, a provider's making a prescribing decision in this case.
0: I mean, I can tell you like the last time I had to sit and choose an insurer, and you would think that I'd be better at this than most. I remember having to take two Tylenol, right? Cause when I got done, cause I thought my head was going to explode and I could <laughs> honestly not say to you, I made the best choice. It was at the end, it was almost like a, you know, hail mary guess with all the complexity, and the other thing that I keep thinking about is when I used to watch. Uh, I think you, if you have kids, you've watched The Incredibles, and there's a point in the in the show where the 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 manager says they're they're penetrating our inside of our systems to understand how to get how to get the system to pay them or whatever. It feels like it's that level of complexity, and you really need a sophisticated system to sort of bring all that information together to make sense of it all.
1: Yeah, that's true. And it, there it is, it is dynamic, it is highly variable, and it's very different from administrator to administrator, right? And, um, and what I'm, you know, a specific example of that, right, is that the, the responses we get back are not, are, are not you know, across the board consistent that, you know, here's an error and here's what that error means. And that error message is consistent from health to helpline. plan. That's just not the way the world works, right? Is that the, the error messages are specific to those claim systems because ultimately on the other side of the fence, right? These are, these are uh, you know, mainframe systems in some cases that were designed decades ago that they've then created a layer to expose to the outside world, in this case us, um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's not simple work for us or for them. So I, I think the thing also to point out here is that there's a lot of effort from the payer PBM community to, to make this accessible and to, to sort of change the way they're doing business and to change the way their, their technology works to enable some of these things, which is which is progress and, and should be commended for sure.
0: Let's pause the conversation for a minute to talk about one small but important thing you can do to help keep the podcast going. And that's leave a rating and review for the show on Apple Podcasts. All you have to do is open Apple Podcast app on your smartphone, search for The Harry Glorickian Show, and scroll down to the ratings and review section. Tap the stars to rate the show, and then tap the link that says write a review to leave your comments. It'll only take 30 seconds but you'll be doing a lot to help other listeners discover the show. And one more thing. If you like the interviews we do here on the show, I know you'll like my new book, The Future You, How Artificial Intelligence Can Help You Get Healthier, Stress Less, and Live Longer. It's a friendly and accessible tour of all the ways today's information technologies are helping us diagnose disease faster, treat them more precisely, and create personalized diet and exercise programs to prevent them in the first place. The book is now available in print and ebook formats. Just go to Amazon or Barnes & Noble and search for The Future You by Harry Glarickian. And now, back to the show. So, if I'm not mistaken, both Epic and Cerner have, have made it possible for providers to embed swift rx into their ehr so if i understand it correctly it even comes as a standard part of cerner now so yep. those are two of the biggest ehr providers in the u.s
1: and athena um, and
0: athena yeah. so question how did you make that happen
1: well we you know we've got a great team and the the team executed uh, ultimately this we uh, uh we we worked really hard on those relationships and and i think you know, it's, uh, it's both working with the right customers in small ways in the early days that leads to working with these types of EMR partners and, in bigger ways. Um, and frankly, some of the you know, the open programs at, at some of these places led to this. So early days, we were working in kind of the, in the more open developer type programs with these EMR partners. We were working closely with some of their customers. Banner was one of our first customers. UC Health was one of our first customers, uh, both a Cerner and Epic user, respectively. And, um, you know, is was working in small ways with, to solve these problems together with those health systems that led us both to interacting with PBMs and, and ultimately building these enterprise level relationships with the EMRs. And it's, it's you know, it's, it's earning the trust it's delivering, um, for these customers and then, uh, earning the right to do this at scale. And we're, you know, we're to a point now where we'll do almost hundred million of these transactions this year. And it's, it's, you know, it's grown fast.
0: That's a lot of data flowing back and forth. But so let's ask the money question. Like what's the business model who ends up paying you? Is it the provider? Is it, you know, buying Swift as an add on to the existing EHR? How, how does that
1: work? It's the risk bearing entity ultimately. Um, so, you know, think about that as payer and PBM in most cases. Uh, there are cases where we work with health systems and there's some things we do that, that are either, uh, you know, channel related or, or, you know, related to specific needs that they have when they're that risk bearing entity. But, but at a high level, we follow the risk and and we want to work with the customer that is bearing that risk because ultimately they're the ones that stand to benefit from an optimized prescription choice.
0: Okay. So, so that everybody gets a clear idea of like, can you give me a before and after picture at a clinic that brings Swift RX into their EHR?
1: Sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, this, this is probably an experience many of many of the listeners have had, right, is that uh, before SwiftRx, you interact with your physician, they, they diagnose you with whatever condition they've perceived, they select a medication, they route it to the pharmacy, you go to the pharmacy and cross your fingers that all of the requirements have been met and that is, that is at a price that you can afford. If, if there is a prior auth or if that's too expensive, uh, when you arrive at, at that site of fulfillment, you discover that right. And if there's a prior author that's been that's not been completed, then you got to go through that prior authorization process, and you're not picking up that prescription today. If it's a price you can't afford, you got to figure out how to pay for it. And there's a variety of ways that that happens, but ultimately, it's up to the patient to figure those things out. Um, in a world where SwiftRx is installed, uh, the difference is. As that prescription decision is happening, we notify the prescriber of the patient's out-of-pocket cost, in some cases, even the plan cost associated with that choice, any any restrictions that exist, like prior author, quantity limiter, or step therapy, and we also notify them of any lower-cost alternatives. So, in many cases, simple changes make big differences in, in the out-of-pocket cost. And, and, you know, it might even be something as simple as, you know, time-release metformin can be hundreds, if not a thousand dollars and regular old Matt Forman's four bucks and has been four bucks for decades. So it's, you know, it's some of those almost unintentional, I don't want to call, I don't want to, I hesitate to call them errors on the provider side. It's just, you know, they're making choices based on um, their own sort of clinical expertise, but they don't, they don't know these things, right. They don't know how a time release metformin might be reimbursed for one of the 10 or 12 payers that they may see in a given clinic day. So it's, it's just providing that insight up front so that they can make those decisions and understand the trade-offs What you know, is time release really important or is this patient going to be fine? And is that out of pocket cost for a med going to prevent them from being able to actually take that medication? And as a result, they're not going to receive any of the clinical benefits. So ultimately the $4 option is probably better. So it's, it's really connecting that clinical decision-making process with all of the complexity that exists on the payer and PBM end um, so that we can get the decision right the first time. And the, the patient shows up at the pharmacy, they know how much it's going to cost. They they feel comfortable that they can pay for it. And they're either aware of the prior office and have already completed the requirements or have some, you know, some level of expectations set to how to complete those requirements. So,
0: like for all the reasons we've been discussing, right, doctors traditionally have been able to stay somewhat separated or maybe call it shield from discussions about drug prices. I mean, they just prescribe a drug, leave it to their office staff or the patient or their pharmacy to figure out whether it's covered. But now for organizations that are using your system, that are built into their EHR, a clinical encounter it can involve essentially going shopping in real time for the best drug at the best price. I mean, in your experience... How do doctors like being pulled into these decisions? I mean, I can see how it'd be great for patients, but I wonder if doctors are equally excited.
1: You know, one of the things that's been the most surprising to us uh, around this subject specifically is patient out-of-pocket cost is one of the most requested pieces of information in a primary care clinic because it's so complex and it creates so many uh, callbacks and it creates so much patient dissatisfaction because ultimately the patient's going to, at some level, hold that prescriber accountable for that decision. And if it's really expensive med, there's an assumption that the provider knew that already or should have known that whether that's true or not. And so what that's resulted in is primary care providers want this information. They want it. They want to have this at their fingertips when they're making decisions. It's the the world's certainly changed in that way. So I think, you know, it's becoming a part of the the standard of care being able to consider cost because, you know, to the point earlier, the only medication that works is the one the patient can afford. And and so you really have to consider those things because of the way our sort of healthcare payment infrastructure exists, right? There's just patients are bearing a dramatic portion of that cost these days. And, and you got to consider that as a part of the way you deliver care.
0: I mean, I almost feel like your company is is pushing these providers and payers and, you know, to fix the prescription benefit system or making them more efficient or compatible?
1: Yeah, I think there is a, uh, I maybe describe it as, as rationalizing, right? I don't think that these, I don't think that a clinical team at a PBM and a PNT committee, a health system have dramatically different opinions on what medications should be prescribed for what conditions. The, the friction exists in that they're making those decisions in isolation of one another. So I see, I see our role as a connector uh, to help, you know, in, in a value-based world, the incentives start to align between risk-bearing entity and health system. and Many times the health system becomes the risk-bearing entity fully. And so our goal is to, to empower providers to, to understand those things in real time, to, to manage the complexity for them, only engage them with the information that makes a difference in the decision they're trying to make, and and ultimately, create a better experience for the patient, better outcome for the patient, and uh, and and a less burdensome process for the provider organization.
0: As we all know, I mean, the American medical system is famous for sending patients surprise bills after clinical encounter or an emergency room visit, right? Where a bandage or an aspirin can carry some <laughs> crazy prices yeah. that uh, that I've seen. Um, Look, and I'm trying to project onto where you are as a company and where you want to go. I mean, now that you've tackled, you know, the transparency in drug pricing, which I would honestly like to see everywhere, because I think I, I've heard my wife complain all the time when she encounters some astronomical price, right? Can you imagine trying to tackle or bring greater transparency to other medical costs, such as maybe a surgical procedure or Hospital supplies. I mean, is there anything that you've learned about prescription benefits that's transferable to all these other types of care?
1: Absolutely, yeah. And we're we're already moving beyond prescriptions uh, today, and and focused on you know uh, labs, radiology services, uh, generally, and and see the the dynamics of the payer PBM end of the market five or six years ago as it relates to pharmacy real time benefit um shaping up much in the same way around medical benefits, that, that payers are thinking about these problems uh, in the same ways and and are showing initiative and and prioritizing putting this information at the point of care for from all the reasons that we just described on the drug side are, are true in many ways on the medical side. So yes, absolutely that's that's where we're headed. And and the, the regulatory tailwinds are there in a new way, right? If you think about in the last 12 months, there's been more price transparency legislation than in the last 30 years. And that, combined with uh, the no surprise billing legislation, uh, really creates this, this kind of pre-EOB requirement for, um, for each of the stakeholders. And uh, they got to solve that problem. And, uh, and we see ourselves as really well positioned to be a part of that solution.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, it, 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 it there was no way, I mean, the Affordable Care Act got put into place and there were certain things in there that just, there was no way that you were going to be able to do that without some level of transparency and understanding what's going on.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. But uh, even further, right, the, the, before the end of last year, there were price transparency regulations for health systems, for provider or for payers. Um, And then the no surprise billing legislation has in it a component that says, you know, before you deliver care, you got to be able to give an estimation of cost. And so all of those things sort of work together from a regulatory perspective to start to drive the market in that direction. So absolutely, that's it's coming everywhere. It's going to be it's going to be a part of the way that every healthcare decision is made uh, in the future. And it's just a matter of, of time before that's the case.
0: Yeah. And I'm not, it's, it's interesting because I have lots of conversations with, you know, lots of different people and and they, I don't think they understand that it's, if, if you don't have that level of transparency, you truly don't have a competitive environment, right? You can't make choices because you don't have the information to be able to make that choice.
1: That's exactly right. Without it, without it, there is no marketplace, right? The, or it's, uh, that's probably overstated. It's a, without it, it's a dysfunctional marketplace, and uh and with transparency we will start to see you know real competitive uh dynamics uh, emerge and and I, i'm hopeful for that you know the sunlight's the greatest antiseptic
0: oh i totally agree i mean for me it's always been like a walled garden like you know either you're here or you know you're out of luck right because yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. you don't have any information to know you can go across the street um i guess i should be asking you know i've i've probably reached the limit of my knowledge on the subject matter but you know like is is there anything i haven't asked you or anything you know that you would want to add to the conversation that would be enlightening to the people that are listening
1: yeah i think well the only thing i would sort of make sure we reframe a little bit is that this isn't necessarily about price transparency it price transparency is a component of providing access to care for patients and that's ultimately what we Continually focus on uh, inside of our company that you know price is an input, affordability is an input, convenience is an input. Uh, you know the ability to actually receive the prescription is an input. We're we're ultimately trying to make sure that affordability and speed to care lead to better outcomes, and and that's an access story, not just a price transparency story. Um, and so that's that's the only sort of reframe uh that i'd offer is that ultimately this has to lead to you know better health people getting healthier getting the care they need being able to afford the medications that they need and that's that's the work um and you know we'll we're going to stop at nothing to make sure that that happens
0: excellent well it was great talking to you kyle i i uh I wish you great success because I mean, whenever anybody talked to anybody, I'm like, I know I could be benefiting from all of this. So I want everybody to be successful.
1: (laughs) Well, we appreciate the well wishes and we'll be working hard to ensure that that's the case.
0: Excellent. Thank you so much.
1: All right. Thanks, Harry.
0: Bye-bye. That's it for this week's episode. You can find a full transcript of this episode as well as the full archive of episodes of The Harry Glorikian Show and Moneyball Medicine at our website. Go to glorikian.com and click on the tab Podcasts. I'd also like to thank our listeners for boosting The Harry Glorikian Show into the top 3% of global podcasts. If you want to be sure to get every new episode of the show automatically, be sure to open Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast player and hit follow or subscribe. Don't forget to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And we always love to hear from listeners on Twitter, where you can find me at hglerickian. Thanks for listening, stay healthy, and be sure to tune in two weeks from now for our next interview.